This is the Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and uprocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. We have reached part five of our Bruce Springsteen series, 20th Century Boss, where we are taking an in-depth look at the first half of Bruce Springsteen's career, the albums that he released from the early 70s up through the end of the 90s. And uh, we have reached the point where we are getting to a very different album in Bruce Springsteen's career, and of course, that record is Nebraska, his sixth studio record. Released on September 30th, 1982, Nebraska was recorded on a four-track by Bruce Springsteen in his uh, home, in his bedroom, actually, working on a four-track machine. He set it up on January 3rd, 1982, in the morning, and he proceeded to record 15 songs in one marathon session, wrapping up late into the night. At that session, he recorded the entire record of Nebraska, as well as songs that he would elaborate on on the record after this, Born in the USA, including the title track to that record, as well as songs like Downbound Train and also an early version of Working on the Highway. But the album itself that he made, Nebraska, was not intended to be a record. At the time, he thought that he was working on songs for his next E Street Band record. Bruce's thinking at the time was that The previous albums that he had worked on, you know, albums like Darkness on the Edge of Town and The River, it took a long time for him to make. And the reason why is that he was writing songs in the studio. And he was generating great material at the time, but he was looking for the right songs, songs that would fit together into a cohesive statement. And it took him a while to get there. And his method of making those records was basically just to run through as many songs as he could, often writing songs as he was making the record in order to achieve that special alchemy. But after The River, Bruce's thinking was that he'd be better off if he worked on songs by himself and then brought them into the studio, which is how we end up with this record, Nebraska, which he demoed on his own and and he thought would work as an E Street Band record. But when people started to hear these songs, these songs that are full of criminals and wayward fathers and economic hardship and heavy shadows and and spooky echoes, they could hear that this actually worked as is, that these songs, there was something to them, a power to them, that would be diluted if they were played by a band. And Bruce discovered that himself when he tried to run through these songs with the E Street Band. So he ended up with this record, Nebraska, again, recorded on a four-track, an album that Bruce Springsteen decided not to support with a, with a tour, and there were no singles released for it in America. Atlantic City and Open All Night were, were released as singles in the UK, and here in America, there, there was a music video made for Atlantic City, and, and maybe you've seen it. Bruce isn't in the video at all. It's just a series of black and white shots, presumably filmed from a car or a truck, uh, and it, it showing a broken-down America, a very sort of depressed, backward-looking stark version of a uh, vision of, of Reagan era America in the early 1980s. Uh, which, funny enough, if you watch the video now, it actually looks a lot like America now. <laughs> Maybe we're a little more run down than we were then. 
But the video for that song, it's, it's a perfect representation of, of what this record is. A record that is filled with, with so much intimacy and, uh, and novelistic detail. You know, I, I think beyond anything that Springsteen had done before. I mean, you can hear songs on Darkness in the River that seem like precursors to this record. Uh, but Bruce had never dared to sing as quietly <laughs> as he does on this record or as intensely. The interesting thing to me about Nebraska is that I find that people who don't like other Bruce Springsteen records respond to this album. People that are turned off by the arena rock aspect of a lot of Bruce Springsteen's work in the, in the 70s and 80s. Or maybe people who just find the sort of overwrought nature of, of some of those records to be a little bit corny or, or dated. They hear Nebraska and they respond to it. And I think the reason why is that Nebraska exists outside of Bruce Springsteen's catalog as a touchstone for indie rock. You know, like if you grew up in the 90s listening to Guided by Voices and Pavement, you know, this generation of bands that made home recording or lo-fi recordings, uh, you know, a cool thing. Nebraska exists on that continuum, along with the basement tapes, the, the Bob Dylan and, and, and what Bob Dylan and the band did in the late 60s. Um, or if you grew up in the 2000s and you were into Bonnie Iver or Fleet Foxes, you know, that sort of beardy folk scene that was happening in the 2000s. Nebraska belongs on that continuum as well. The irony of this record is that at the time it was perceived to be this anti-commercial move that was in a way sort of anachronistic. You know, it, it didn't have a modern sound. There was nothing really sort of overtly poppy about it. And yet I think in a way that this record is easier for subsequent generations to access than some of the other Bruce Springsteen records. That people that grew up listening to indie rock, they connect with Nebraska because they hear something that's familiar to them, and then hopefully they go from there to the other Springsteen records. It becomes a skeleton key for figuring out why this guy is so great. Nebraska also endures as an archetype for a certain kind of unadorned authenticity for singer-songwriters. You know, that idea of sequestering yourself from the outside world and playing songs full of mystery and longing. You know, that goes back to Nebraska, as well, again, as the basement tapes. You know, part of the appeal of Nebraska is that it has the illusion of having no artifice. Of course, no artifice is itself a kind of artifice. <laughs> but there's no denying that Springsteen never sang so quietly or wrote songs as thoughtful and detailed as the songs on Nebraska. And I think inside of every singer-songwriter now, there's still that idea that if, I could, if you can just get away into a bedroom and play into a tape recorder, that you're going to come up with something really powerful and honest, uh, at least as powerful and honest as Nebraska is. Um, I wanted to talk to someone who grew up in a world where Nebraska exists as a well-established landmark in music history, uh, almost as a genre unto itself. So I called up Phoebe Bridgers, a very exciting 23-year-old singer-songwriter from Los Angeles. In 2017, she put out a very good debut album, Stranger in the Alps. Nebraska had already been out for 20 years when Phoebe heard it for the first time, uh, but she was still able to find something in it that was personal and resonated with her. So I was curious to find out why and, and, and to dive into this record with someone who has tried to follow the same path in a way that Bruce Springsteen did on this record. So uh, we had a great conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. Here's me and Phoebe Bridgers talking about Nebraska. When I reached out uh, to your publicist and I, I, I was like, I, want, I would like Phoebe to do this Bruce Springsteen series I'm doing. Is there an album that she would want to talk about 
she came back with with one album and that was Nebraska. And yeah. I presumably this is well it's either your favorite Springsteen album or it's the one you have the most to say about. So which one is it and and, and why was this the one you want to talk about? You know, I don't know. I don't know if I have like a favorite album because I feel like I have favorite songs that are on albums that like that I didn't listen to as much. I feel like as an album, I feel like I listened to Nebraska the most as like a as like a piece that was like meant to be listened to all at once. Yeah. Um, and also, it's just kind of like obviously it's completely different than anything he's ever put out, and it I feel like that style is kind of what I gravitate towards in other artists, like maybe that were inspired by Nebraska and like the four track sound and everything. So I think it's just, it's like the most interesting to me as like a thing. Yeah. You know, the the thing with Nebraska that I find is that people that maybe aren't that big of fans of like Bruce Springsteen's other albums, that they will get into Nebraska because like you said, it is so different. It doesn't have some of the, sort of more bombastic aspects of his music, obviously. It's, it's right. very stripped back, and it can be more approachable maybe for people that are maybe not as into the arena rock stuff. I'm wondering if that was... <laughs> yeah, totally. Was that the case for you, like, when you got into the record? Like, was this, like, a, a know, gateway for you? I, yeah, I would say gateway more so, because I... I think, weirdly, I, I had... When I was a kid, I had Highway Patrolman, the Johnny Cash version on my, like, iPad iPod Shuffle. Oh, okay. And someone had to hit me to like, yo, that's Bruce Springsteen. That's a Bruce Springsteen song. <laughs> and um, and so like I listened to the whole thing. And I and now as an adult, I have no problem with arena rock. Like I love that stuff. Right. Um, but I feel like it was definitely the best kind of gateway to me as like you know a soft emo like tween getting into <laughs> music that my parents liked. You know what I mean? Like it, it was a great, it was a great like bridge across like that, that genre. See, I, I, I'm curious how you got into the record because I know you're in your early 20s. So I mean, by the time you heard this record, it was already this sort of iconic record. Probably had been around yeah. for 30 years or something at that point. How did you find out about the record and like how'd you get into it? Well, I like I said, it was probably the Johnny Cash Highway Patrolman. Okay, and then. And then, like, I can't even remember. It might have been my mom was like, actually, that's a Bruce Springsteen album. And, like, put it on my iPod. Okay. And was and I was listening to it all the time, but I had no, like, reference. I had no, like, how old is this? What is this? Why do they sound like this? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it just was like, you know, it was, and, it, and it was, like, different than anything I was listening to, like, like then, you know, a couple of years later, got into like Elliot Smith, and was like, "Oh, I know that sound because it's like a four-track sound." Right. Um, also, I loved it. I loved at the time, and I feel like it really helped me, like personally with songwriting and stuff. I loved that he was not—he was like not embarrassed about writing like eight songs in the same key with the same three chords. Like somehow the melodies were all different, and the lyrics were like crazy different. Um, like he did, I don't feel like he really got caught up in like, 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 and, and because it was recorded to be demos for a record, it, I feel like you can hear him like humming little parts or playing little parts that are supposed to be bigger, right. but they're not, which is like 
it's so cool to me. Like it, you know, it'll do like a super hooky thing like once. Right. Um, which I think is really sweet. And, that, that, and that, I feel like people try to do that on purpose now and, <laughs> and like have rarely been successful. And that, I mean, that's a really interesting point you bring up because, um, you know, these songs were written relatively quickly, I think. I think it was over the course of maybe two or three weeks. And like you said, right. when he recorded these songs, they weren't intended for, for public consumption. They were demos, and he thought that they would eventually be E Street Band songs. And then, of course, these songs had such a power on their own that he decided to release it as it is. But, you know, you, you can hear, like you mentioned how you know, you know, there's a, a lot of the same sort of, I think you said they're all in the same key, there's eight songs in the same key. You can hear, like, phrases that get repeated. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, uh, the uh, the Death No Honest Man Can Pay, I think, is a line that shows up in um, right. Atlantic City and Johnny 99, I think. And, uh, I mean, is it, in a way, does it, like, when you were young and listening to this record and thinking about maybe writing your own songs, did it, was, did it make it seem more approachable in a way? Like, because it, it's oh, so yeah. rough? Absolutely. But it was also it was also extremely intimidating. Like for for the little I knew about Bruce Springsteen, I was like, "You're not a cop. How could how did you write such a good cop song?" Right. You know what I mean? So like the lyrics were super intimidating to me, but just like the structure was like, "I know those chords," you know, like it was like, "I know those chords, and I can do that." Um, so so yeah, it was it did kind of like make it less daunting. Um, and the production, it was like, if I just record on my like, computer, <laughs> it'll be like similar to this, right? <laughs> you know? So, um, so yeah, it definitely was like a cool feeling to have, especially because the other Springsteen songs were like so giant. Right. I'm curious, I'm curious, like, has there ever been any like whisper of like the full band Nebraska, like any, cause I know that they recorded it. But is there ever, like, has any, like, I feel like with the age of the internet, if, like, someone can go on someone else's computer and get, like, naked photos, like, someone must have <laughs> found, like, the Nebraska recordings you at know, some point. that's a great question. I feel like that must exist somewhere. I, I don't, I've never heard them. I know, like, if you hear live records, there's, like, full band versions of, like, Atlantic City that they played live. Right, okay. So you hear that, but I've never heard, uh, uh, yeah, like, the, you know, yeah, the full band version of Johnny 99 or something. I I know, right. too, that there were songs that he... Because a really fascinating part about this record is that it was... The, the writing of it was intertwined with the early stages of Born in the USA. Like, he wrote Born, right. Born in the USA around this time. He wrote Downbound Train and Working on the Highway. And I think they recorded part of Born in the USA before this record came out. And then they took a break. This record came out. And then they did the back half uh, later on. Uh, but it's it's sort of like those two records kind of exist at the in the same universe, right. even though they're totally different. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm almost I think that maybe like some of the Born in the USA songs were recorded in the in like like Nebraska, like at the same time. Right. And they were like, oh, these are Born in the USA songs. Which again, like inversely, I would be so interested to hear that also you can hear some of that like on that tracks box set there's the acoustic version of born in the usa that uh, oh right on i, I think was recorded That's in those sweet. sessions and i know like I, I was i read this book i think it was glory days the the dave marsh book talks about how john mm -hmm. landau was one of springsteen's producers was like when he heard the original born in the usa just the acoustic version he's like well that's not even that good of a song you know it's sort of you know it doesn't <laughs> sound that great but then when they 
it was you know they needed that synth line and like the big drums right. and it just becomes a totally different song whereas with the songs that ended up on Nebraska they were diminished when they did them that way it was almost it is an interesting thing about how much songs can be transformed by the arrangement or how you produce it and how some yeah. songs are you know it, it, it's like the song has to you have to find the right way to present it to have it blossom you know the right way yeah, totally. And I lo- and I love like <laughs> hearing him like one of my favorite like production moves ever, which was obviously he was just kind of like referencing stuff to do in the studio bigger. But like the yelling in the background of like every song and like the uh, the screaming harmony in like Atlantic City, but it sounds like he's in the middle of a room <laughs> with like the microphone really far away. Like that's I feel like I I, tr- I like reference that all the time. I'm like I'd love to do that on a record, and it was probably totally like an accident to him like it was like a reference like oh we need to do like a big thing that does this line that i'm yelling you know i mean it's such a cool move i mean i feel like nebraska at this point it's become almost like a cliche for singer songwriters you know like if you want like 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 you you see so many people that try to make their own version of nebraska like like, i'm gonna go in a cabin and i'm gonna write a bunch of songs and record it on a four track and it's gonna be really stripped (laughs) down Uh, i mean is that I'm literally doing that right now. Are you really? Although, te- technically, I'm only making like demos. You know, they were truly are demos. I have no intention of releasing them because they're on GarageBand. Not quite as cool sounding as uh, four track, but but yeah. I mean, I think that people people definitely like romanticize that idea, and and how could they not? It's like the product is so cool. Yeah. I, and Bonnie Bear's like whole album was on the four track. Right. Exactly. That, that's sort of the more modern, I guess. That, that's like the 21st century Nebraska. It was the first Bonnie Bear record, I guess, in a way. Right. At yeah. Least totally. It, it serves, at least in terms of the romantic myth of it. But I mean, so like, yeah. you, so you're doing that right now. And but, I mean, this is what Bruce Springsteen said, though. He's like, well, I'm not really, I'm not really making a record. So it's possible that the, you could be making your, your Nebraska right now. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Except there's going to be, because it's GarageBand, there's going to be like, like compression stuff like the whole time. And that'll be like the tape, the tape loop. It's in like, like the modern day tape loop. I mean, do you think, <laughs> I mean, obviously the songs on Nebraska are amazing, you know, but how much of the backstory do you think adds to the stature of that album? Like if he had just made it in a studio, you know, and knocked it out. And under sort of more conventional circumstances, would people love it as much, or is it, is it that mythology of it that elevates it a little bit? I think, like, I think that it helps, but I also, and weirdly, I don't. I think my favorite Bruce Springsteen song is "Stolen Car." Oh yeah. Um, so it's not even on this record, but it. I mean, it's sim- it's like a similar, uh, like I feel like structure to the songs on Nebraska. Totally. But. So, so like as I said, Nebraska as like a thing is is it like stands alone and it's epic, like because of the backstory and because of the way it sounds. But also, like like I said earlier, like Highway Patrolman. Even as like a twelve year old kid, I was like, "What is this song?" Like lyrically, I just was so blown away. But but I think that that has been repeated. Like when when I delve deeper into Bruce Springsteen after listening to Nebraska, I think I was like, oh, there's like a wealth of these lyrics. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's a hard one. It's pr- it probably lands somewhere in the middle. Like, yeah. I think the reason that I found it is because is because of the mythology. But but then like he he, it's not like a standalone thing. Like huge E Street Band songs kind of have the same like power 
in their lyrics also. It's just like the, the you know, it, like you said earlier, it's the way that they're recorded that like makes you notice that like four times as much, like right off the bat. You're like, oh, these lyrics are insane. You know, I'm, I'm just looking at the CD right now and like just the black cover with like the red type next to it. Like, on top of it, it's like, wow. It's like you, you kind of feel like, you know, and you have this like black and white photo on the cover, like through a windshield. You kind of feel like, okay, this this album's a masterpiece. Before I put it in, like this album's probably not going to suck. If it if it sucks, it's super pretentious. Then, like they're totally because just the way it's packaged, it, I don't know. It it looks like yeah. This is so. You use the interesting word. You said epic, which I think is totally like the right word to use. Although in a way, you'd feel like, well, these are intimate, sort of austere songs. But you know, you you've talked about Highway Patrol, man how you hear that song and it feels like you've watched a 90 minute movie at the end of that. Right. And there actually is a movie based on that. I don't know if you've, if you've heard of the movie, the Indian runner, like the Sean Penn, he, it's a movie he directed in the early nineties. Right. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. And is is Viggo Mortensen's in it? Yeah. Viggo Mortensen and, uh, uh, some other fairly well-known guy, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird movie, but it is the story of, I mean, and it's funny because they actually did make a movie of this and it's not as evocative as, as this five minute song. You know? It's still yeah, better as a song. Like one of my favorite things about him as a writer is I feel like the, the craziest things are the things that he leaves in the spaces. Like, I don't, I, I don't know how to explain this. Like, like <clears throat> he says so many specific things in that song and then he kind of switches gears for the chorus and says like another specific story, but it just makes you sad just because, because of like what you're reading into. Right. You're reading into like this shitty relationship used to have like, like they used to have like really good times. And that's what, that's what he's thinking about the whole time that the shitty stuff is happening. It's like, you know, it, 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 it feels like so nostalgic to listen to and you have no context for this character and, you know, neither does Bruce Springsteen. He, like, right. made it up. <laughs> it's, like, so insane to me that he, yeah, that he basically wrote, like, a 90-minute movie yeah. in that song. No, I mean, I totally know what you mean about, you know, the, the sort of stuff that he puts in and the stuff that doesn't get put in. Because there is a level of specificity in these songs that, I mean, I think that's there, you know, if you listen to Darkness on the Edge of Town or The River, I mean, those lyrics are right. are pretty dense, too, but... On this record in particular, it does feel like very writerly, like in a in a good way. Like that can be sort of distracting, or you know, uh, you know, if people are, you know, pretending that they're writing literature and not writing songs. You know, like, it, you don't want it to be yeah. too dense. But like like Atlantic City or something, like the most famous song on the record. You know, he's he's talking about the Chicken Man in the first line, and and you hear that you're like, what do you? talking about like he's just dropping this nickname of a guy but as as the, but he's he's also there's all these specific details in that song but the story is pretty straightforward it's about this guy who's desperate he obviously is in trouble with you know the mob and he has to do something bad in order to get under to get you know, to get out of this trouble so it's a pretty straightforward he story he probably has to like kill someone right right exactly that's I, what I, i'm reading it to exactly i gotta do yeah. this little favor for this guy and there's all so yeah it's just that combination of like tons of detail and yet it's a pretty simple story that you can follow and it seems to have a beginning middle and an end so yeah which is i think that's just great storytelling yeah absolutely and and i feel like i try to reference this in my own music now where 
and and Bruce seems so good at it. Like, like, why am I sad? Like, why? <laughs> you know, I mean, a song like The River, I mean, pretty much tells you why you're sad. He tells you why to be sad. But, like, in, in Stolen Car, and then, I don't know, like, what's another, like, why am I sad? Like, Atlantic City, it's like, and my father's house, it's like, well, why am I connecting the dots in a way that makes me so, like, nostalgically sad? Right. And and I think it's the same thing. It's like, and and, you know, after analyzing it, it's like, I think it's just the spaces the spaces he leaves and like the information he lets you figure out that he's made like almost there in the story where you're like, Oh my God, I think, I think he's talking about, he has to go kill somebody. Cause he's like, you know, and then he's having this existential conversation with himself. Like, I think maybe stuff that dies comes back. It's like, that's so sad. Right. You know, he's like justifying it in the most, like, you know, the weirdest way possible. I think the example of what you're talking about that stands out to me on this record is Used Cars, which has always been one of my mm-hmm. favorite songs on the record, um, where you know he's using this very specific thing of like the family going to buy a car and watching your dad try to negotiate a good price on a car and just seeing that he can't really do it. Like he's not being taken seriously and like how just right. like the low-key humiliation of that and how that story, which is really specific, it has this broader significance. Like, it's about, you know, how we all feel about our parents. Like, when you realize that your parents aren't perfect, you know, and that they're, right. that they're people, and how you have empathy for them, but it's also really sad, because you, you aren't a kid anymore when that happens. You, it's part of growing up. Um, you yeah. don't have that protection anymore. And that's such a great example of that. It's kind of a weird story to tell, but it it's what you were saying, that sort of connecting the dots thing. It has a much bigger impact emotionally than it would be if you were just talking about a guy buying a car. You know, it's about right, more or than if that. You were to say, like, when, like, like, I remember when, you know, I lost my innocence and I realized my dad was just a person. <laughs> like, that's not an interesting enough story. Like, he had to lay it out so that you figure that out for yourself. Right. Which is so cool. So... So we got side one of this record. It's it's Nebraska, Atlantic City, Mansion on the Hill, Johnny Ninety Nine, and State Trooper. Pretty solid side of music right there. You know, we've talked about Highway Patrolman and Atlantic City a little bit. Are, what are there any other songs on that side that stand out to you? As, you know, just songs that that you like a lot. Well, I feel like Mansion on the Hill kind of does the same thing to me as Used Cars or something. It's like, you know, you. I don't know, like realizing that your life isn't the best that it could be as a kid, you know, obviously like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's like the things that you romanticize as a little kid, which is just like so crazy. I also, I, I love the, the national version of that song. Oh yeah. I actually, I actually, um, I made a playlist like on my Spotify forever ago called like a boss with all my favorite, <laughs> like Bruce Springsteen covers. And that was on there. It, the the national version of Mansion on the Hill and and um, Atlantic City by the band. Oh yeah. Um, and but also I didn't know like when I was gonna do this. I thought I thought Nebraska was just like made up also, but I didn't know it was about like the Starkweather thing. Oh Stark yeah. Starkweather murders. Um, which just like you know that was a fun YouTube like wormhole to go down. <laughs> well, um, and just for people who don't know who are listening uh, to the pod, Charlie Starkweather was uh, 
basically the movie Badlands is based on the Charlie Starkweather guy. It was like him, and it's like uh, I think I, I don't know how old he was if he was like in his twenties or something, but he had like a teenage. Yeah, he was like girlfriend. eighteen. <clears throat> okay, yeah, he was eighteen, and he was twenty when they put him to death, which is so dark. And they yeah, it was like late fifties, and like him and his girlfriend just went on just you know doing glory killing, basically just killing random yeah. people, uh, and. Uh, um, and I know that like Springsteen, uh, he actually like read about that case and he like he interviewed the author of uh, the, a book on that case. Like I think she was she worked for like the local newspaper, uh, so she was like considered an authority in Starkweather. So like he interviewed her like oh, before wow. he wrote the song. So yeah, he, so there is like a journalistic okay. aspect almost to you know. His songwriting on this record, like he wanted. Although I know, like, I mean that that song isn't um, note for note. Like, the, the, there's a really memorable line at the end of that song where, you know, they ask him, you know, like, why did you know, they ask me why I did what I did? I guess there's just the meanness in this world, and like Starkweather didn't actually say that. I think Starkweather was an idiot. Basically, he wouldn't have been that poetic. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Um, but I mean, that's a great closing line of the song. Dude, yeah, absolutely. I think he was giving him a lot, a lot more credit than he deserved. <laughs> well, Bruce was like, okay, this guy's an idiot, so I have to write something that's maybe more profound and will sound really haunting, uh, so I can't rely on the right. record totally. I have to ex- execute some poetic license here. Right. Uh, um, so, yeah, the Mansion on the Hill cover that The National does, that's a great that's a great cover. And I'm glad you mentioned the band cover of Atlantic City. Um it's like Levon Helm singing that song is uh, yeah. so beautiful. Hey guys, we'll get back to our conversation in a minute. I just want to tell you about something I'm really excited about, which is the release of my new book, Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock. It comes out May 8th and it's available wherever you like to buy books. Twilight of the Gods is a book about rock stars and how they all seem to be retiring or even dying right now. If you're like me, you grew up listening to Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, The Beatles, and The Stones, even though it had been years, even decades, since those groups were in their primes or even still together. How has this music endured for so long and appealed to new generations of fans? What is the attraction of classic rock culture, and what impact did it have on the world? And what will happen to that music now that so many stars are exiting the stage permanently? I'll attempt to answer all those questions in this book, along with offering in-depth analysis of my favorite Bob Seger songs, my least favorite Neil Young albums, and the scariest David Bowie cocaine binges of the 1970s. Also, for you Springsteen fans, there's a lot of stuff about Bruce in the book, too. So please check out my book, Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock, when it comes out May 8th. Okay, let's get back to the episode. I also think, like, on this side, you know, we talked about Nebraska. I'm a big fan of Johnny 99, and then, of course, you have State Trooper. I mean, all three of those songs are sung from the perspective of people who have either murdered someone or in State Trooper, you get the feeling that if he does get pulled over in that song, that he will kill somebody. And he's sort of like, don't stop me. I don't want to have to kill you, but he also does want to, you know, maybe kill somebody. Um, there's right. definitely ambivalence in that song, um, which I think is interesting with Bruce. I mean, he's definitely written character songs on other records, but um, just as a singer, I don't know what would be the right way to call this. Like, if it's method singing, it's almost like an it's almost like an acting performance on some of these songs. Like, he sounds like a killer on State Trooper. Yeah, I mean, 
like you said about the Starkweather thing, like he just made up a line to make it a little bit more interesting. I feel like, I don't know, at least when I write songs, the only way that I can really write it is if it's like, if I'm thinking about the thing that's not my own experience all the time. I'm like, oh my God, like, what would that be like? How could that happen? You know what I mean? So I feel like he probably just, like, brought his own personal experience into it by, like, you know, overthinking it, basically. And, like, talking to a journalist. Like, he was obviously super interested and, like, obsessed. Um, So, you know, I, I would guess that something similar happened with, like, you know, cops or like what would it feel like to kill someone and and i feel like yeah it doesn't feel like i mean maybe appropriation is the wrong word but it doesn't feel like he it doesn't feel like he's like taking advantage of it and trying to make it like oh cool it would be so cool it seems like he really is thinking about it really hard um which i love about this record like it doesn't you you know it's bruce springsteen you know he wasn't a cop you know he's I mean, I hope that he's never killed someone, um, but it doesn't feel like he's taking advantage of like that. And he, he also kind of does, you know, wear a costume. I love that like David Bowie, there's some David Bowie interview where they're like, like, isn't it, you know, I forget what they actually say to him, but they're basically like calling him out. Like you, you get on stage and you're a different person. You wear a costume every night. And he's like, if you think Bruce Springsteen isn't wearing a costume, like you're ridiculous. Right. Oh, totally. Um, Absolutely. Which I love, because he is kind of like, he, he, he's, you know, he's kind of representing a, a lot of things that he isn't actually, but it, it never really feels like fake, no. um, which I love. No, I mean, and I think even Springsteen himself would, would say that that's not, like, I'm not who I am on stage. I mean, I, right. I, I mean that's always been the tension with Bruce Springsteen, you know, especially among people who are, are, are critics of him, that he writes all these working class songs, but he's obviously... A millionaire rock star and like how can he do that yeah. convincingly but i always think of him as like an actor and a writer at the same time like you and i don't know if this is how you feel in your own songs but like obviously you're writing your songs but then you have to go and perform them and there is a feeling and i'm sure you feel connected to your material but you don't always feel connected to it i'm sure there is an element right. of like you're presenting something as a performance or as an actor and uh, yeah. it it doesn't ma- matter if you feel it in the moment or that's exactly who you are. It's does it seem authentic when you're seeing it? That's what matters. Or does right. it make you feel I mean, something as you're seeing it? Yeah, I mean, whether or not I even like I, I have songs that aren't about my own experience, but I also have songs that I wrote, you know, five years ago that I just don't connect to at all. Um, and I have to you know sing them every night like I just wrote it. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's like an element of that in everybody's writing, but I just, I don't know. He like, he, he very young, like decided what he was going to be like and just went for it, which I totally like respect. And I have no idea how it'd be so decisive. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like never really like, <clears throat> also if he were to put out, I don't know, like a, like he 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 makes a lot of records that sound like deceptively really different. Um, but it's but it always is him, if that makes sense. Like the production yeah. on so many records is different, and uh, but it, but it somehow you're always like you picture him in the studio in like a white t-shirt with the sleeves rolled up and like jeans. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like he like he really did embrace himself. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, just from talking to, about this record with you, and that, this hasn't really occurred to me in this way before, but I mean, I think there is something interesting about Nebraska in that it is this unadorned record. It's very, you know, again, it's stripped down. I think people would be inclined to think that, oh, this is Bruce Springsteen as he really is, or the closest we're going to get to him. And yet I feel like uh-huh. these are the most unlike him songs. Like, I don't want to say they're theatrical songs, but like you said earlier, like writing, talking about Highway Patrolman, you're like, well, he's not a cop. Like, how is he able to write in this voice? And yet he does. And right. like, he's taking on the voice of the character in that song. And he's done that on other records. But, you know, I, I don't think Springsteen is anything like the guy in State Trooper or Johnny 99. He might be drawing on feelings he's had, but he's able to write from the perspective of these people that are utterly unlike him and right. make it feel like you're hearing them talk. Um, yeah. Which is what, I mean, that's what art is. I mean, if you can create that feeling in people that they're hearing something that doesn't exist, you know, that's such a great magic trick uh, to yeah. be able to pull off. I mean, look at Tom Waits. Tom Waits is like <clears throat> the embodiment of like making you feel things about, and you like, it's, it's similar to Nebraska where when you're listening to it, you know that Bruce didn't, you know, you know that he doesn't have a brother who's like a con man, like outlaw (laughs) and he didn't like, you know, work for the state. (laughs) Um, and same with Tom Waits. Like, you know that he's not like, you know, playing ragtime piano in a bar somewhere every single night and that he didn't like fall in love with a stripper. (laughs) Um, but, but you like feel things about it. Like regardless of knowing that it's not real. Um, so, so yeah, I think there's just something to be said for like being really good at poetry and bringing your own experiences to the, like the craziest situations. Yeah. So on side two, we have used cars open all night, my father's house and reason to believe and talked a little bit about used cars already. Like any of those songs that, uh, jump out to you? Um, I love my father's house. Um, I think it's so sad. <laughs> um, yeah, I and weirdly, like one of my favorite artists, Julian Baker. She has she has a lyric um, that always reminds me of my father's house. Like she's just talking about being inside her dad's house, and uh, and yeah, and then like a couple times after shows, because I went on tour with her a couple times after shows, I just go like listen to this song, and I'm I don't know it like. It's it's kind of the same thing that we were talking about before. Like it reminds me of like the death of innocence, which I love. Um, yeah. Yeah. I also feel like one of the things I really love about Nebraska, and maybe less so in that song, but I feel like it's in all the songs, is you feel uh, that whatever was going on in America is like in the background of a lot of these songs. I, I, I know when Nebraska came out, a lot of music totally. critics wrote about it in the context of Ronald Reagan. And like, cause Reagan was elected a couple years before this record came out and he enacted a lot of policies that were really hostile towards poor people. And right. people were, and that was, it was kind of the beginning of what we're seeing now, like just Republican governments stripping away uh, the safety net from, yeah. from, uh, poor people, but like Springsteen doesn't write about that directly uh, on this record, and he doesn't write a song about Ronald Reagan. You know, he's writing about people that live in this world, 
and are being affected by those things. And you can read into that if you want to, but it's not like a like a hardcore song from the eighties, you know, which would have been directly saying like "fuck you, Ronald Reagan" or something. And the power of that, I think, is that you can listen to Nebraska now. You know, you know, I've been doing that in the last few days, getting ready to talk to you, um, and it sounds like a 2018 album. Like, there's so many things yeah. in these songs that I feel like he could have written this last week. Yeah, and absolutely, it, it would have been about America now. Um, yeah, you're so right. I've kind of never thought about that before. Like, and and that's another that also lends itself to what we were saying earlier about earlier about him not really like italicizing the subtext and and making it like making you figure it out. Right. Um, like what's truly sad about each song. Um, and yeah, also like, I, 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 I think that songs about dreams are kind of cliche in general, but <laughs> then also like a lot of my favorite songs are like really encapsulate what a dream actually feels like, you know, where like a lot of it doesn't make any sense. And, and I don't know, I think that this song is like, yeah, it's so, it's so like nostalgic, but like you would if you were having a dream. Um, yeah, yeah, and like yeah, like the end of innocence, like the sense of longing, this sense of like okay, I, something's gone right. that you're never going to get back, and you can yeah. you can visit it in your mind, but it also makes it more painful in a way if you right. if you dream these things. You know, I, the other songs on the side, you know, open all night, and even reason to believe. You know, they're sort of like the deceptively upbeat songs on the record i feel like you know <laughs> yeah, they, they seem but like i think if you listen to them maybe a little bit deep because you know up open all night is kind of like a rocking song and then reason to believe yeah you know there's that at least it's sort of superficially uplifting like people find a reason to keep going um but i also think you can listen to the listen to that song and just remark you know and kind of notice that um even if people are are still moving forward. They find a reason to believe it's only so they can go to work the next day. Like they're not really right. making their lives better. It's just to keep moving forward and, and to survive, not to thrive <laughs> really. Right. Which, you know, maybe, which, which I think is a reality for a lot of people. Um, but it is, if, if it's a victory, it's a very bleak victory at the end of this record. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, which I feel like, it goes into what you were saying about the Ronald Reagan thing. It's like, it's always kind of looming, like what's going on in America. And it, it yeah, it's so weird. I mean, where was he like in his career when this album came out? Cause he, he was definitely like, well, the river had just come out. Yeah. The, the, right. river, the river just came out and like hungry heart was like his first big hit song. So, um, he was, he wasn't like, it wasn't born in the USA yet. He wasn't like that huge, but he was uh-huh. selling out arenas and, uh, you know, <laughs> selling millions of records. So like, so crazy he, to me. yeah, he was definitely a superstar, uh, singer. It's interesting too, because, you know, we were talking earlier about how the making of Nebraska was sort of intertwined with the beginnings of born in the USA. And I know that like for a while anyway, he kind of wanted to keep going in like the solo direction. Like he, right. like it sounds like he got into sort of a dark headspace, and he was a loner anyway. I, you know, he like he wasn't married at this time, and he was a guy that was sort of averse to setting down roots anywhere. Like he loved to go driving by himself and and spend <laughs> yeah. a lot of time on his own. And um, it seemed like, you know, in a way, kind of going back to the method idea. Like he had a hard time shaking this album. I think. For a while, I think the darkness of it. Yeah, like personally, I had a hard time shaking it. I mean, has that ever happened with you? Have you ever written 
a song or, or anything like that where it put you in a headspace that was hard to get out of? Absolutely. I think, I mean, I don't have that much music out yet, so I think I, um, <laughs> you know, I hope to have that at some point. Like, I hope to write something that I think is so good that I want to, like, write it a million times. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, on, like, small levels, like, just making my record, it was like, I want another song like that and being frustrated that something didn't sound like that. I actually, when I was making uh, Stranger Than the Alps, the record that just came out when I was making it, like right before I decided to go record it in the studio, which I feel like I found kind of like a middle ground between the two ideas, but I was like, should I record it in a big studio or should I just like go like Nebraska out and, <laughs> and like make demos myself? Um, and yeah, and I feel like I had a middle ground, like a, a lot of people who realized what was so cool about the like tape sound and everything, but then like recorded it. And I did record it like in someone's back house. Okay. So, um, so I feel like a little bit of that like made it in, but did you say? But yeah, I had before I'd recorded this record, I had only ever really recorded like solo stuff that I liked. Okay. Um, like to tape, like I recorded a seven inch to tape that was just me and a guitar, um, which I, you know, I, I yeah, I'd never really played with a band. I still kind of haven't really like yeah. the the band stuff that I have played is is pretty sparse. Um. So yeah, I think I mean, <laughs> I think maybe it was kind of hard for me to shake Nebraska also. Yeah, as like a way to record. I like how you said, "Am I gonna am I gonna Nebraska this out?" Right? <laughs> That's what you said. Like I like that as like a verb. Like, am, yeah. you know, am I gonna go in the studio or am I gonna am I gonna Nebraska it up here? Because uh, yeah, I mean, there is some. I mean, yeah, there's. I don't know what it is about that. There's something very romantic. I think for it seems like for musicians to do that, but also like for as a listener. Every time I get a record or hear, I hear about a record that, oh, this is like a stripped-down record and it's intimate, it's a four-track thing, I'm always like, oh, shit, yeah. it's going to be like Nebraska, and I get excited, and then you put it on, and it's never as good as Nebraska. But, you know, there, right, yeah. there is some, I, and I don't know what it is, but, yeah, there's just something really powerful about, you know, one person in a tape recorder and a guitar. And, totally. You know? Also, like, what else was coming out in the 80s that was so, like, you know, that was so sparse. Yeah, very like, little. I can't, I mean, maybe I just didn't live through it, so I have no idea, but it seems like if you think about the time period, like people must have been like, what is this? You know? <laughs> well, especially from... the context of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, especially like on Columbia Records by one of the biggest rock stars in the world, and, you know, Nebraska went platinum. So, I mean, it was like, you know, it wasn't as big as the albums around it, but it was like a pretty big hit. Um, right. so it's like not quite pop music, but it's not, it wasn't indie rock either. Like it was yeah, a, it definitely like broke the, the, you know, records for <laughs> like four track albums. <laughs> so <laughs> like, okay, uh, you, everybody likes these songs enough to like, you know, buy this album that they've never heard before. Exactly. See, I, and I know you got to go here. So I'll, I just want to say though, that I'm excited that you have announced that your next album is just like Nebraska, and is in, it's as good as Nebraska. I think you said so. Uh, I'm glad that you've thrown down the gauntlet here. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. But like that's, uh, um, I don't know. It would be cool though, like if that actually ended up happening. If you did put out the Nebraska version of your upcoming album. Oh, dude, I would love that. So I would love that. We'll see. Well, Phoebe, it's been awesome talking with you. I really appreciate you uh, taking time to uh, talk about Nebraska with me. Awesome. Thank you so much, dude. Right. This podcast is cool. All right, man. Take so, care. Thanks. 
All right, that was me and Phoebe Bridgers diving into Nebraska. That was a great conversation about a great record. I want to thank you all for listening uh, to this episode as well as the rest of the series. It's gotten a really great response. We've been getting a lot of downloads. That's really gratifying. I've been proud of the series so far. I've been really pleased with all the guests. I mean, they've been really thoughtful and they've really helped me dig into these great records. I want to do a shout out to Derek Madden for putting these episodes together. I want to do also a shout out to Josh Bittney, who helped with this series, uh, special technical assistance uh, on making these episodes as good as they can be. Uh, shout out to Josh Copperman for writing our theme song. Thank you, Josh. And thank you all for spreading the word about the series and, and giving us all these nice reviews on iTunes and telling your friends about us. Uh, this has really helped us grow uh, the audience for, for 20th Century Boss as well as the podcast overall. So thank you again for that. We have another episode going up this week. It's with, we have another episode going up this week. It's with Patterson Hood of Drive-By Truckers. We're talking about Born in the USA, an album that is intimately intertwined with Nebraska. So uh, after you listen to this, if you want to check that out, I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks again, guys. We'll talk to you again soon. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.